All right. Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Evan. Delighted that you're here in worship this morning. Thank you, Sherry. You have prompted us to turn to Psalm chapter 1, so I'm going to invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 1 right now so you can follow along this morning. As you find Psalm chapter 1, let's just talk. We've got two more weeks on our series on the Psalms, and uh, we obviously haven't gone through all of them. We've gone through just a selection of Psalms that challenge and encourage us. The Psalms are divided into five books. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that format before, but it's, it's actually organized in a fashion, divided into five books. It encompasses a wide variety of time. Actually, I mean, Moses you know, wrote Psalm 90. We have David writing a whole bunch of Psalms, the sons of Korah. You have all kinds of different people that got inspired to write Psalms. And they're organized in, a, in five books. Um, and if you're on our e-news, there was a video that was sent out this week from the Bible Project. It's a super video. If you didn't get to watch it, go back and find it. That kind of shows you the structure, and it's really remarkable to see how God inspired such a structure to be utilized. Um, the last five books of, of, or last five chapters of the Psalms seem to correspond to the five books as a fitting closing. But what we look at this morning, Psalm chapter 1, and we're not looking at chapter 2, but those two function as an introduction to the whole, the whole of the Psalms, particularly Psalm 1. And so we're hearing the introduction and so even though we're not going to cover all the themes in it, listen to the themes because it's setting up what is important in the Psalms that we should be listening for as you go through that. And before I read it, this is a, it's a favorite Psalm of mine. Um, and as I dug into it this week, I would happily take another week of looking into it even deeper. It was just really enjoyable and it really deepened and renewed my sort of personal call to ministry as I read it again. Um, I love the image of the tree by water. We have the tree right here by streams of water that, uh, that has its fruit in season. But particularly, I felt for a long time that God gave me the specific call to, as a, somebody who's followed Jesus Christ for a long time, to be one who is in the business of challenging myself and others who have followed Jesus for a long time to deeper life with Christ, especially when we get complacent and when we feel like we've hit those points where we're pretty comfortable. I feel like God gave me a call many years ago to say, no, no, we need to move closer to Christ, not just sit in comfort at that point. And this renewed that call in me this week. I pray that it challenges you to a closer walk with Christ as we look at it. The point that I want us to see, and you can find a few different points from this, but the point that I want us to see this morning is that if you want God's blessing, seek God's presence. I mean, the title of the sermon is want God's blessing, start here. I think that's a fitting title for what, what's happening in the psalm. But if you want God's blessing, seek God's presence, which is both a redundant statement and a seemingly obvious statement. Because God's actual blessing is that we would be in the presence of God. So if you want to be in the presence of God, seek the presence of God is really what that says when you get down to it. And it seem, it's redundant and it seems like it should be a no-brainer and yet it needs to be said. Right? You would think that we could have such a walk with Jesus Christ and such a, a life of praise that our life just screams praise out to him in everything that we do, and yet we forget about God in our daily life quite often. There are 150 psalms in the psalms that encompass the whole of life in so many ways, and we need all of them because we forget about God so much of the time. All too often, even when we follow Jesus Christ, we'll do things and we'll think, I didn't include God in this decision at all. 
I need 150 psalms because I need to be reminded to pray and praise the Lord at all times. It should be a no-brainer that we should want the presence of God. It should be obvious that we want the presence of God. There are plenty of people in this world who want to be blessed. They want to experience that one relationship that we are indeed designed for, and yet they make no movement towards that one relationship we're designed for. It should seem like a no-brainer. If you want God's blessing, seek God's presence. And there are all kinds of people that we run into every day. Maybe you're in the room. Maybe there are people we run into. Maybe you're at home watching. There are all kinds of people who want purpose. They want direction. They want value and meaning in their life. But they don't go to the one who gives all of those things. The blessing is God's presence. It should seem like we shouldn't even have to say it. It's a redundant point, and yet we have to say it because we forget. If you want God's blessing, seek God's presence. Let's read Psalm 1, and let's proceed uh, by looking at a couple important details in this. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. When we look at the word blessing, typically when we run into that word in the Old Testament, we're, we're looking at it in this case specifically receiving something from God, that kind of blessing, because it gets used a bunch of different ways. But if it's, if it's from God to us, we're assuming and, and understanding that is receiving God's favor. That's often what blessing means in its sort of basic form that we run into it when we're looking at that relationship. The, the word that's employed here is a little different. It's not the more common word for blessing that we run into in the Old Testament. It really has much more to do with an instantaneous feeling of happiness or something in between happiness and joy. Um, you can find the same kind of idea that Jesus is getting at in the Beatitudes when he uses a different word in the New Testament, but it's associated with this word. There's, there's an emotional content to that word blessed at the very beginning. Sort of an instantaneous, I encountered God, God did something, I was walking on the path and something went right and I experienced something of God's presence, boom, I'm excited. Anybody experienced that before? Where God kind of does something and you, you sense that and you feel it and there's an emotional content to it. That's the word that's being employed there, that's the idea. The, the usual Old Testament word Baruch uh, is God's blessing bestowed. This one, Asherah, is more of the emphasis on the human actual cultivation of, of that relationship with God. So it's God still giving the blessing, but it's the human initiation of walking that path towards God. That's what's in the connotation of this word and sort of the emphasis of the word. And then it culminates in that you're going to have these moments of kind of emotional happiness or, or satisfaction because you're on that path and God kind of affirms it along the way. Blessed is the one who is walking that path. 
Blessed is the righteous one who's trying to be like God, walking towards him because only God can make us that way. That's the word that's employed here. And we are, as we saw in the children's message, very well done, Sherry. We want to be walking in that Godward direction, in that righteous direction, to be made righteous. And the question that the psalm asks us is, what direction are you headed today? Where are you going? Towards or away? It doesn't give in-between options. However, it gives some ways that we could get a little wayward in the midst of that. And that's where you get into, it's just verse 1 has so much content right away. Blessed is the one, so the righteous person, who does not walk and step with the wicked. Right? You've got these different postures. Walk, stand, sit. Wicked, sinners, mockers. And let's just take each of those in turn because I think there's a lot there that we can take from this. To walk, that first thing. Blessed is the, the one who does not walk and step with the wicked. The walking is a casual approach here. Yes, you are in step, but there's a bit of a casual nature about this. Much like when I walk my dog, uh, every fire hydrant, tree, and squirrel is absolutely fascinating. She's got to mark every third to fifth yard along the way, and you're like, this is just taking a lot of extra time. We were, I just want to walk on the sidewalk and go forward. Nope that's walking in step with the wicked in this case. You can sometimes be on the path, sometimes off, sometimes you're co coming on and off to some degree. There's a little bit of that sense. It's, it's almost like it's intentional and not intentional all at the same time. When it talks about the wicked, you know, you've got three different words for sort of sinners, that category of sinners. Um, we don't want to make too much of it, but wicked here uh, the way the word that's used here is someone who's on the wrong course, that's for sure. Someone who's guilty before God. But kind of the quality of it uh, in comparison, because these three, three uh, sinners take a step up sort of in grade, if you will, of sinner. This is more like a misdemeanor versus a felony kind of thing. This is someone who's off on the wrong path. They're, they're not doing what God wants them to do. They certainly are guilty and they're culpable and they, they stand in judgment before God for their sin, but they're not necessarily always that well thought out on why they did it, that kind of thing. You know, we've, we've run into that kind of thing. And so what, what I think it challenges us with as we look at that, we have in the adult Bible study after church, we've been working on tactics by Greg Kokel. He's a Christian apologist. And, and one of the things that, that we've been talking about is that when you're kind of encountering people who have different uh, understanding of faith, worldview, those kinds of things, and you want to have the conversation to kind of move towards Christ, that, that asking questions is a good way to do it. You know, what do you mean by that? Uh, how did you come to that conclusion? Or have you thought about this? Those kinds of things. Asking questions in a whimsical way to have conversation. But sometimes somebody will make a statement, we've covered in this, that... Uh, they actually haven't thought through, but they think it seems logical. You know, all religions are basically the same. You know, the New Testament's been changed because it's been translated so many times, that sort of thing. And simply asking a question like, what do you mean by that? Sometimes causes radio silence on the other end because they actually don't know what they mean. They've never thought about it. So I bring that up because the one who walks in step with the wicked, if, that, if you turn around those questions and somebody asks what you believe, would they get radio silence or could you identify what you actually believe? We're going to end up, if we're not careful, walking in step with the wicked and walking on that path in and out, going in and out of that path, going sort of the cult, with the cultural winds and the cultural direction if we don't actually know what we believe. 
Because what, what ends up happening is we end up walking on and off of that path in a real casual way because what the culture says around us sometimes seems loving or kind or nice. And if all of our understanding of what it means to walk with Christ is to be loving, kind, and nice, well then we're going to be like, okay, I guess that sounds okay, but we might actually be walking in step with the wicked. We have to know what we believe so that we don't actually do that. It's a casual approach. It's the kind of thing you kind of just wander into and then you realize, oh, this is not living in a Godward direction. This is not walking as one who is righteous. And you can see that evidence uh, quite often in a more pronounced way if you're one person at church, one person at home, and one person at work. Right? We need to have some kind of a unified faith in Jesus Christ so that we don't end up walking casually in step with the wicked just by sheer accident because we don't actually know what we believe. Do we follow Christ or not? Which direction are you headed? The psalmist asks us. So don't walk in step with the wicked. Blessed is the one then who does not stand with the sinners. Here we've taken a step up in category. To stand is a little bit different than to walk, right? The walk was more casual. To stand, now you're standing with someone, sort of an ally taking their side or at least standing with them to support them in something, even if you don't take everything uh, with them. Uh, I have a friend uh, from the first church I served who uh, was an IT guy working uh, in the auto industry. We were in Indiana uh, in that first church, and he worked at a couple different auto plants. And he wasn't part of the union, he was in management, but he said the union had a strike, and all the management and all the IT people still had to go to work and were not striking. Um, and he said, crossing that picket line in the morning was the hardest thing I've done. He was not standing with them. He crossed over the other way. To stand with them would be to stand in solidarity with them. Blessed is the one who does not stand that way in solidarity with the sinners. Now, it just says sinners in my translation. It says that in most of the translations that I've seen. Uh, a common word. For sin here, it's one who misses the mark, basically, or kind of just, it could go with the walking on the path, they kind of just step off the path a little bit is what they're doing, uh, sort of like if you're walking half on the concrete, half on the grass, that kind of thing. Uh, a related New Testament word is one who misses the mark, like one who shoots an arrow and it just misses the target. But it's, it's not so simple as just somebody is like, oh, I messed up. It's a little deeper than that. This is somebody scholars point out would be more in the professional sinner category is what you really have here. This is somebody who knows how to do wrong, knows how to do it wrong well, and, but can kind of make it look like they're doing right. Um, but they're doing it for themselves, ultimately. That's what you have in this category. And, and we should recognize what sin is when we look at this. Sin is a perversion of the good. God, everything that God creates is good. Sin is just taking that good stuff that's a gift from God and perverting it, twisting it, messing it up, turning it upside down, misusing it in some way, not using it as God intended it for good and as God wants us to. But the more troubling thing about this particular category of sinner as I was looking into this this week, is this is the category of sinner of the Pharisee or the elder brother in the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. This is the person who stands ready to receive the inheritance of the Lord and should look the part, but they don't. They don't take that inheritance. They kind of just want to look good. 
but not actually receive the inheritance of salvation, not actually receive that abundant life. This is the person who's more interested in being right than being righteous. And so you can see that, uh, like Jesus talks about that in uh, Luke 18. It should come up on the screen here. Luke 18, 9, where he gives this parable. He says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Standing with the sinners, this person who's a sinner in this category, somebody who's more interested in being right than being righteous. You could see this, for instance, and this is somebody where their pride interferes with the ability to reconcile with others when something goes wrong or reconcile with God. They'd rather be right or feel that they are right rather than be like the Lord. This is also the type of person who's interested in getting material blessing rather than right relationship with God. And this is the operative way we often hear blessed, I think, in our culture. Somebody says, the Lord's going to bless you, and they think, where's the stuff? Right? That God's going to give us. Shouldn't that affect my bank account positively? Or my, uh, the amount of vehicles or recreational things I have and the places to park those things? Shouldn't that affect the time off and how I can use my time off in a positive way? This is somebody who's interested in that, not in receiving the inheritance of salvation and eternal life and right relationship with God. Blessed is the one who doesn't stand with the sinners because these people are interested in being right, not being righteous, and getting material blessing rather than right relationship with God. These people are interested, if you're in the sinner category, of being recognized for doing good rather than humbly serving a good God. They want the credit for their good works and their good everything. The recognition in that case, if they take the recognition, the recognition and the glory goes to you and not to God. They're not interested in the glory going to God. They're interested in it going to themselves. And of course, we have to ask, if God's the giver of all good things, why in the world would I try and steal his glory? But that's exactly what this person does. It turns out your heart is revealed by your actions. And these people in this category reveal that. By looking the part. Don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. We look the part. But they don't actually want the relationship with God. They're sinning. Third category. Blessed is the one who does not sit with the mockers. Some of you have scoffers in your translation. Either one. It's just a fun word. Scoffer. Just say it. It's fun. Scoffer. Um, blessed is the one who doesn't sit with them. Now, we should recognize what this means to sit with them. 
this isn't just, you know, we talked earlier about talking to people who have different uh, opinions than you, different beliefs than you. Okay, great, go have coffee with those people, sit down. That's not what this is talking about. This is more like a friend of mine who's been in the corporate world for uh, a very long time pointed out that when he's uh, working with people, he said if somebody's been at a company or at a church for more than five years, they're institutionalized. That's the word he uses. That is to say they take the co corporate culture for what it is and they don't question it very often. That's what happens. And he said that's, that's not a good thing in a lot of cases. You want to be able to ask good questions and sometimes people that have been there for a while can't ask those questions. So what the sitting with the scoffers is sitting with those people like that who are uh, negative, they're the ankle biters, and, and in a culture, whether it's church or an organization, an office business, you know, the corporate culture, that kind of thing, um, that can look like, you know, not making changes and things like that because that's just who we are. That's just how we do things. We've done it for time immemorial. We don't question the system. We just do it that way. Or it can look like it, with an individual person, uh, you've got one person in maybe an office, you've got them in churches, you've got them all over who will just, when push comes to shove, they'll just yell at someone or be mean or send the nasty grams or whatever it might be. But the problem is everybody else in the culture just says, that's just Frank. You just kind of deal with it. Well, no, Frank's a jerk. You don't just deal with it, right? You've got to do something about that. Something has to be done. Otherwise, uh, Frank or others like that are the mockers and the scoffers. The mockers and the scoffers are troublemakers. The mockers and the scoffers are destroyers of the good. These are the ones who are hardened against God. And they will do everything to tear down anything that God is building up. They will always find something to complain about in every circumstance. It's sort of like the weather report. Can we just have a weather report on TV where they don't tell us when it's going to go bad and they just let us enjoy the good, you know? It's going to be sunny today, not an ounce of rain, but in 14 days, get out your umbrella. No, just let us enjoy the 14 days. No, not the scoffers, not the mockers. They're going to tear it down. They're always going to tell you the dark side of it, and they want you to live there with them. That's the deal. They're not productive. They tear others down, and they try and tear down the work of God, ultimately. This is the category of cynics, those kinds of people. A, a colleague and friend of mine who's now retired pastor uh, was telling me that in his younger years, he was at a conference, pastor's conference. He was sitting uh, with about three different pastors who were, you know, elder and well-respected pastors. And uh, they were sitting in the back row. He got invited to sit with them. And he thought, this is going to be wonderful. I want to learn from their wisdom. I want to sit with them. And he said the whole time the conference speaker was talking and the conference was going on, all these people did was just cynically mock everything that went on just tear it down and laugh amongst themselves about it. He said, I finally just got up and left. And he said, I came to the realization years ago that if you're not careful, particularly for pastors, but for many other people, cynicism can be bred very easily if you're not active against it. It just tears others down, tears others apart. That's really the, in the origin of the word. That's what these people are. And anybody who sits with them is going to become like them. Blessed is the one who does not sit with those who will tear down what God is trying to build up. 
And Psalm, the psalmist in verse 6 tells us why. Why should we not sit with him? Why should we not do this? Well, there's the two directions. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads where? To destruction. There isn't like a middle road here that one of these leads to purgatory or some other nice place. No. One leads to the Lord. One leads to destruction. There are no two ways about it. There are only two of those. That sounded contradictory, I recognize. There are two ways. That's what I meant to say. There's the righteous or the wicked life. There's life or there's death. There's no in between. Thomas Brooks, the Puritan author, in his book's book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, says this, the best course to prevent falling into the pit is to keep at the greatest distance from it. He who will be so bold as to attempt to dance upon the brink of the pit may find by woeful experience that a righteous, it is a righteous thing with God that he should fall into the pit. Our actions do reveal our motivations. Who we walk with matters. And sometimes we can in life think that we can keep pretty close to sin and yet be righteous. We can kind of live a game of inches when it comes down to it. When we were living in Colorado Springs before here, uh, Andrew, our youngest, had just been born, and so I took our, our two daughters, about five and two and a half, we went to um, the zoo for just a day out, which is on the side of a mountain, and so it's up in elevation pretty high. It's got a fairly decent view, but as part of the zoo pass, um, you also get a, a pass to the Will Rogers Shrine of the Sun, which is 1,500 feet higher than the zoo, up the, up the switchbacks. And it's where Will Rogers is buried and somebody else, I don't remember who, I didn't look it up because I didn't care. And so we go up, all the way up, and it's a 65-foot tower, 1,500 feet higher than the zoo, which is already pretty high. So the view up there is pretty good. We, I took the, the girls, we went into the visitor center, and then, frankly, they were more fascinated by the water jug you know, that bubbled every so often, and we played with that for a long time. But we went across, looked, the view is phenomenal. You've got this great view of the front range. You can see the whole city of Colorado Springs. You can see it all. And so then I had to carry one kid up. So I carry one kid up five flights of stairs, 65 feet up, and I look down at the people below me, and I'm like, they're not that much smaller. And the view is exactly the same, 65 feet up when you're this high. Some of us try and live a game of inches when it comes to our righteousness and to sin. We try and kind of do the minimum effort in our discipleship and our walk with Christ to kind of just be on the right side, but we're not really putting in a ton of effort when it comes down to it. We're playing a game of inches, right? And we will we'll give, like the Pharisee even, I give 10%, I fast, right? He follows the Ten Commandments, and then we realize that the Ten Commandments are the floor, not the ceiling of what God wants out of us. Like, that's how the law works. It's, it's the floor, not the ceiling of what God wants. And yet we're content sometimes to live right close to the edge of the pit. We're content just to walk up 65 feet and just see a little bit higher and not actually see what God actually wants us to do. If you really want God's blessing, if you really want God's presence, you'll do what it takes to walk towards him and you won't dilly-dally with sin. And you won't sit, stand, and walk with those who commit it in any way to stand in solidarity with them or participation with them. That's what the psalmist is telling us. And so he's telling us, 
We need to choose the path of blessing. How do we then choose the path of blessing? Verse 3 is where we find out how. That righteous person who doesn't walk with all those other people, it says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. If you want to choose the path of blessing, my recommendation to you is to dig a canal. Write it down if you're taking notes. Dig a canal. Because that's what this stream is. It's not just an unintentional meandering stream. The word is actually a furrowed bank intentionally put there to create water next to the tree so that it would yield its fruit in season. It's intentional, it's nourishing, so that the tree will be fruitful. The canal, in many cases for us, are the disciplines that we practice that walk us closer to Jesus Christ. We don't want to love the disciplines. That's the middle path of that person who's the, the sinner. They love the disciplines. They don't love the giver of the disciplines. We use the disciplines in order to walk closer to Jesus Christ so we can be more like him. We dig a canal, a deep trench that will nourish us by our Father, our Heavenly Father, through life so that we're closer to him, so that we're walking the path towards him. What are the best disciplines for digging the deepest canal is a question we could ask. Let me just give you a little insight into my life right now and some of the disciplines, uh, my life of discipline right now. I have been fascinated over the last couple months that I have been, my daily regimen of devotional reading has for whatever reason been interrupted by my mind, which sounds weird. I wake up in the morning, I try and read scripture, and I have found over the last couple of months, I don't absorb the scripture at that hour anymore. I don't know why. It hasn't worked. So I've had to try and figure out how do I then pick a new pattern. That's an okay thing to happen. And it's important to recognize uh, that things like that will change sometimes in our patterns because I could stand before you and say, I read my Bible every morning and then not complete the point of I wasn't absorbing any of it. That's very pharisaical, right? I would be doing the right thing, but I wouldn't be doing the right thing. I have to figure out now how to compensate for that, how to work around that when things don't go the way they were working before. My go-to in times of difficulty and in times of crisis, and this isn't a time of crisis, but I would go to my usual go-to is scripture memory and solitude with God at that point. Those are my go-to's. And, and so when I talk about what is the best discipline for digging the deepest canal, the best discipline for you to dig the deepest canal is the one that works in crisis. That's the best one. You need to practice all of them. And they're beyond the screen right now. You know, you can practice prayer and meditation, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, all those that are on the screen. That's great. That's important. You could add more to the list. We need to practice multiple disciplines. But you need to actually find the one that when things go completely awry, when somebody wants you to walk and step with the wicked, sit with the mockers, when you're in those situations, what's the one that you can count on that keeps you closest and in the, the right direction to go to the Lord? And in good times, dig that trench as deep as possible. It will pay off in the long run. One other consideration I just want to point out as I, I draw it to a close here is that um, the, the psalmist does talk about, since we talked about the posture and we talked about the, the specific sins, the psalmist is saying also, don't make your main friends those people. 
right? We, we do need to have interaction with the world. We do need to have interaction where we draw people to Christ, where we have those conversations with people who are far from the Lord. We should pray for those. We should want those encounters, amen? We should want those. But we can't make those our sole friendships. Otherwise, we're going to run into trouble, the psalmist says. As Craig Groeschel, covenant pastor, points out, he's kind of rounded out old wisdom in a simple phrase. He says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The people you hang out with shape you. And just like the disciplines that we practice can draw us closer to the Lord, it's a discipline to hang out with people who are like the Lord, who encourage us, who challenge us. It's also a discipline to hang out with people solely who take us the other way. It will train us one way or the other. And we need to choose those things carefully and cultivate that channel of water carefully. If you want God's blessing, seek God's presence. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you do give us the promise of your presence. We want to desire it this morning. We want to walk towards you. Challenge us this morning. Convict us where we need to make changes in our lives for the the disciplines that we keep so that we would actually walk closer to you, so that we would not live in that middle path of trying to look like we're doing our part, but not actually being changed by your word, by your presence. Lord, call us home. Call us to you. Help us walk that path. Help us dig that channel so that we would flourish and grow fruit in season so that others would see and come and do the same. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.